for today is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, beginning at verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts serve to draw us nearer and nearer to you, O God, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. So today's sermon is brought to you by the letter P, the Greek P that is, ah yes, there it is, pi. Now before you run screaming from here because I have conjured horrible memories of eighth grade mathematics, stay with me. Everybody lick your lips and then say, come on, let's do it with a little more gusto. It actually has a bit of a distasteful connotation to it, doesn't it? Dismissive, almost, right? All right, Ingrid, that was fun and all, but uh, I'm actually here for a sermon. What does this have to do with Paul and the naughty church in Corinth? I am so glad you asked. If you've been here for the past few weeks, we've been going through the biblical book called 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. He's writing to them because they are fractured, behaving badly, and overall forgetting their call as disciples of Jesus. 
Last week, Reverend Ryan shared about the brokenness that not only existed between members of the church, but also between Paul and the church. And he pointed us all toward, excuse me, an examination of our own broken relationships. He noted that God's primary work is about healing and that through Christ we are made into instruments of peace, of love, working with God in partnership on the unfolding of God's dream for the world. Now, Paul said, now is the time to join in on this good thing God is up to. And he argues that as they, as we, join in on this work, we will be overflowing with joy, with exuberance. Paul says, hey, look at your friend Titus. Titus is so filled with the Spirit, he just won't shut up about it. And then we come to our reading today. We have transition from the admonishing of the church, do this, don't do that. And Paul has done his best to convince them to live in love and healing and made them promises that the Holy Spirit would fill them up beyond their wildest imaginations. And then he starts to flatter them. Wow, since you guys are so smart and so great and everything, let's see if this amazing love you have can overflow into cash money. What? Yeah, that's right. Reverend Ryan goes away and leaves me to preach on everybody's favorite topic, giving money to the church. Thank you, Ryan. So Paul is traveling around, starting new churches, preaching the good news of Jesus, and gathering together new communities of folks who want to live in this way. And we all know, church takes some money. But who wants to talk about it? Especially in the way Paul is trying to do it here. Buttering them up. And then he says... I'm not commanding you, no, I wouldn't do that. I'm testing the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the givings of other churches. Come on, Paul, give me something better to work with here. Then, as if that's not enough, another layer, because, you know, Jesus, he was rich, but he made himself poor for you. Obviously, Paul has not run enough stewardship campaigns in his life because this doesn't work. This just makes people defensive. Can you imagine if I was like, oh, Wendy, look how wonderful you look. Thank you so much for all that you do at St. George's. You sure are generous and smart and beautiful. Now, I know you are a faithful woman, but I just want to make sure you're doing things for the right reasons here. And so I just want to test it out. Now, did you hear about how much Adele is giving to the church? (laughs) She, that's what I call a good Christian. She really knows how much it costs Jesus up there on the cross. Now, Wendy, let's talk about your monthly givings. Uh Uh-uh. I'd be out of here faster than you could say charlatan. And actually, I would feel pretty steamed if someone tried to get money out of me that way. No, Paul, I cannot imagine that these manipulative tricks worked on those Corinthians, and it sure won't fly with these fine folks here. Unless, unless there is more to this than meets the eye. Which in the case of the Bible is certainly always true. 
Now remember, Paul is writing to these folks in about the year 50 AD. This is a brand new movement. There is much division, not only within the new church, but between the Gentiles who are following Jesus, that's non-Jews who are following Jesus, and the Jews who are following Jesus. And the Gentile churches were typically much, much wealthier than the Jewish churches. Okay, so that's one thing to keep in mind. Paul is writing to a Gentile church to encourage them to offer money to the much poorer, mostly Jewish church in Jerusalem. Now the other thing we don't hear in this is the wordplay, in English anyway. Ancient Greek is just about the coolest language, second only maybe to Hebrew. And this text just doesn't work as well in English as it does in Greek. In Greek, Paul repeats the word charis, grace, over and over and over, but in English we only hear it once. I find that a strange choice by these translators. The other word that really strikes me is the verb dokimazo or dokime. They are simply translated as test. But these words actually reveal or refer to the way our real character is revealed or discerned when we face challenge. So we read in the first part of our scripture today that comes across as smarmy or a manipulative cash grab is actually Paul saying, you have received grace over grace over grace from God. And I encourage you to continue to share that grace as you have already done with others and that through this challenge, this difficult undertaking, you will know the depths of your own generosity and the depths of God's grace. This is a bit different. My defenses are not up with this. Okay, Paul, what else have you got? Again, what in English sounds like manipulation, Jesus did this, so you should do that, takes on a whole other meaning in Greek. And it has to do with the letter P. In English, the line reads, you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich but this line cannot be understood without saying P. It's about spit. Let's do it again, everybody together. P. Yeah. Now you don't want to face someone when you make P because you might get a little shower. But of course, that's the point. In this time, in this language, in this place, the word for poor for poverty in Greek is a fabulous word that not only starts with the letter P, but is immediately followed by the letter T, T. How do you even pronounce that? Well, exactly as though you might think. Ptochia, right? Think patui. And the word for rich, also a P word, though has much different connotation, plusios. The rich used to walk past the poor and spit on them using the very word that described their poverty, ptochia. Now, poverty is a generous word because the appropriate word I do not care to use in church. So the line might read better, on account of you, he, though being plusios, ptochiaed. 
so that in order so that you might plusios by his patochia. In Paul's view, Christ made others rich, not in the way the rich normally help the poor by giving out of their fullness. He enriched others by giving out of the nothing he had. He pulled off a real miracle. He made others rich by making himself a beggar, by being one of those disgusting, spat-upon have-nots, and by giving out of his nothingness. Of course, Paul calls this grace, charis, charis, a soft sound in the back of the throat that does not involve on spitting on anyone. So how does this get lived out in our lives? Paul makes sure the church knows that this isn't about relieving some and afflicting others. It's not about letting some off the hook while making others feel guilty. It is about a true equality, a true fairness that, get ready for it, makes possible God's reconciliation for the whole world. God's reconciliation of the entire world through Christ overflows in our lives through the exchange of Christ's wealth for our poverty so that we might overflow in the profound sharing of things with one another. This overflow or excess of grace through Christ is an overflow, an excess that spills out into every aspect of our lives. Abundantly supplying all of our needs, God's grace gives us the power not only to forgive and be reconciled with one another, but also to share our wealth with one another. This continues to have profound relevance for our day when grave inequalities between rich and poor only continue to deepen. And we see so clearly that the spiritual and emotional poverty, the addiction, the depression, the violence, they tear through us. They keep us afraid, broken, estranged, worried that we won't have enough, worried that we won't be enough? Like the Corinthians, we too undergo the testing of our ministry, the revealing of who and whose we really are in all that we are and all that we do. We too glorify God as we generously engage in sharing who we are and what we have with one another. There is another translation that I love. It reads, this isn't so others can take it easy while you sweat it out. No, you're shoulder to shoulder with them all the way. Your surplus matching their deficit, their surplus matching your deficit. In the end, you come out even. As it is written, nothing left over to the one with the most, nothing lacking to the one with the least. Maybe this is about stewardship, about giving to the church, but it certainly isn't a manipulative money grab. This is a deeper examination of where we are in relationship to our fellows, both inside and outside of this church. Are we willing to see clearly our places of abundance? Are we willing to see clearly our places of scarcity? Are we willing to match our abundance with the scarcity of another, 
are we brave enough to allow the abundance of another to match our own scarcity? Are we choosing to live today from a place of ptochia, or are we choosing to live today as plusios? God's reconciliation of the entire world through Christ overflows out of us and into every corner of our lives. We are freely given an excess that fills us up and spills out so long as we let it. May we be so bold as to live into the vulnerability of this call. Amen.